Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. The following is a CA original. The Mighty Sound of the South, tailgating on Tiger Lane. Tom Three at the Liberty Bowl. Each one a Memphis football tradition. This is the Tiger Football Podcast with Mark Giannato and Jeff Calkins. How's it going, Tiger football fans? We are back after a thrilling week for Memphis football. 42-38 comeback win over Houston. I don't think I... I just actually finished talking with some of the coaches at practice. We're we're recording this on a Tuesday, and... uh, I, someone asked Daryl Dickey, you know, have you ever been part of a performance, an offensive performance, where you score zero points in the first half and score forty-two points in the second half? And he jokingly said, "Not before, not before Thursday." Um, <clears throat> so, quite a remarkable performance by Memphis, both in good and bad ways. Just the fact that they were so bad offensively in the first half and were able to just. With the f- almost a flick of a hand, it seemed like just become this offensive juggernaut, scoring six touchdowns in a row um, <clears throat> to put away Houston and and really I mean grab control of the AAC West division combined with their win over Navy. I don't know a lot of people, you know, maybe maybe the most ardent Memphis fans thought in this five game stretch of Navy and Houston that they'd go two and zero, but you know, I think most people thought you know you probably split those games just because of the short turnaround and the fact that those were expected to be the the two, you know, sort of biggest contenders in the West Division along with Memphis this year. It's something to think about now with four games left, everything's on the table for Memphis pretty much aside from maybe a spot in the college football playoff. You can win the West Division, you can win the AAC Championship, you can go to a New Year's Six Bowl if you win all these games. A lot to look forward to for Memphis fans, for this football team, and a lot to digest after what was just a crazy, crazy game. Jeff, how, how do you see this last month going, and, and what did what did this week mean for the program, You know, having this sort of performance against Houston on national TV? Well, let's 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 start with that game. I mean, that game was part of it is to have the opportunities on national TV is great, but then to take advantage of them in that way, in a way that makes people take notice that um, it was really it was the, the same thing with the UCLA game. Like the UCLA game was fun. The Ole Miss game once upon a time was fun. You have these; they're not just good; they're good in really fascinating ways with fascinating characters. And then to do what they did, scoreless, and then 42, basically touchdown every single time they touched the ball, except for the last time they touched the ball when they didn't need one. Um, Who who scores? Who can score? Like a a field goal wouldn't have done it. Like if if they had if they had scored a field field goal on one of those, it wouldn't have done it. They needed to score six straight touchdowns, and they did. And so I think the way I described it in my column was. sort of a relentless resolve and execution. And it took both of those. You can't, like you can't have a dropped pass or you certainly consistent drop passes. You can't, to be able to do it 
each and every drive is truly astonishing when you when you contrast it with what happened in the first half when it felt like everything from the very first pass which Anthony Miller dropped and then Anthony Miller fumbled the ball later and then there was the Riley Ferguson split out wide illegal procedure play and and so to go from that to that was extraordinary and it made people sit up and take notice and I was really happy like I'm happy for all of them happy for for I'm particularly happy for Riley Ferguson though who all game long it was on TV it was ah Riley just doesn't have it tonight Riley just doesn't have it tonight and then to see him basically fling the team back into it um was absolutely it's just first of all it's fun and then second of all it sets it up for as you point out um, what is what is what what could be to come, and so to be this late in the season, here we are nearly November, and you're still talking about peach bowl um is like all you is all you could possibly want I'm interested because I know you've been spending a lot of time with 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 time with the team this week. Did anything change from the first half to the second half besides the level of execution? According to them, no. A funny story. I'm going to be writing about the offense this week ahead of the Tulane game on Friday, um, and you guys should check it out because I got a, a lot of interesting tidbits. In- answers the question as to who calls the plays. By the way, we'll we'll keep you on suspense till Friday. But yes. there's always it's always been a little murky. Like uh, that's okay. It's a joint effort and whatever. And you've you've got some clarity. I've narrowed it down. We they have come. They have they have spelled it out very clearly in this story, which will be appearing later in the week. But anyway, so but but no. So a, a remo- it, it's funny. Because Norvell sort of said this um, at right after the game, he said, "You know, we didn't check." I asked him, "I go, did anything change schematically? Did you?" And and he was like, "No, nothing. We did not change one single play." And I mentioned Daryl Dickey earlier when I talked to him earlier today. He sort of he said the same thing, but more he kind of really sort of drew out the scene for me and was like, apparently when they walked in the locker room against Houston, they're all talking about the fact Houston basically was disguising what they were going to be doing. They changed what they were doing defensively for this game and were disguising what they were going to do until right before the snap. And it looked like basically what would happen was that's why in the first quarter you saw there were 18 pass plays and four run plays. And those were, and by the way, you were critical of that. You're like, why the hell are they throwing? Why the hell are they throwing? Against the rushing offense, right? Those were all, against a, a team that gives up vast amounts of rushing defense, uh, rushing yard. Those were all RPOs, basically run pass options for Riley, and so Riley had read, you know, defenders and determined to pass the ball on a lot of those plays. And Dickey said most of the time he was right. He did what he was supposed he to did do. Did what he was supposed to he do. He read it correctly. But the the real key to what was happening was Houston was disguising what they were doing until right before the snap, and it looked like they were going to be in a pass coverage, and then at the last second they'd go to a run coverage, or vice versa. They, they really did, they, they kind of caught Memphis off guard a little bit with that. But when they went into the locker room at halftime, Dickey said Norvell walked up to the coach, and the coach were like, should we change this? Should we change that? And Norvell said, point blank, Let's run our stuff. Like right. just straight. He was just we're very gonna do, confident. We're gonna do what we do. We're going to do our stuff. Well, so much of it is like it's a very interesting offense because, I mean, it's it's it can be both compelling and frustrating to watch because at its best, it's like, how the hell do you stop this machine? You know, and yet at its worst, it's 
90 seconds go by and they're on and they're off the field because there's two drops or whatever. Riley's pressured and he has to throw it away or or whatnot. And so I do think that amount of confidence, though, speaks speaks something to who they are. Like, I do think they really do believe Riley said this before the season began. He said they no one can stop us like basically that's what he said he said yeah. nobody can stop us we can stop ourselves if we don't and and you know if if someone so drops a pass or i miss a th- whatever or something but nobody can stop us well, and that is the i think that is the approach they have to it and it's partly what enables them to do what they did in the second half well what's amazing i'm looking at the stats right now they're 14th in the country in scoring offense 15th in total offense 15th in yards and they'd per be game. much higher if it weren't for the stupid well that's what's amazing about game. it they really haven't played like when you think about it i mean houston they played one half uconn they had a bad first quarter and still scored 70 points ucla they started off slow still scored 48 points southern illinois they looked all out of sorts um and yet they're still 15th in the country and what you know talking to the coaches and the players that you know i think what they what they're a little frustrated about is that this offense has been as explosive as advertised but has not been consistent enough to their liking. Um, they're, they're not as good on third down as they want to be. Uh, you, you sort of mentioned drives that get cut short and are 90 seconds long. I think part of that is they're, they're about at 40, 42% on third down, and they'd like to be above 50% on third down. Um, so that, to me, is the most remarkable thing about this offense. It's top 15 in the country, and you talk to Norvell, you what? talk to Riley, they're not... <laughs> they're like, man, we're what, not even playing that we well. What they average in terms of, is that is that points or yardage? I don't Both. Put you on so start, they're right. 14th in points, and, averaging 40.8, 40.6 points per game. And in total offense, they are averaging 492 yards per game. Right. And for example, that Louisiana Monroe, the, the, the opener, right, which should have been, uh, which should have been, you know, uh, uh, big numbers for them. They had 416 yards of offense, so it's bringing their average down, and it's representative of nothing. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a really really good offense. The question you have is, and 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 they ran into it against UCF, is when you had when you're just an explosive offense, and you play against a really good team that wears down your defense. That way, you know, but. I don't think they're going to face a team the caliber. Just, do you ever talk to? Have you ever asked Norvell about that? About the concerns, the pressures that this offense puts on the defense. He he. It's funny. Shad asked him that right before he left. Um, it was right after the UCF. Because Fuente game. was always really sensitive to that. He was like, "We're not going to put our defense in in a bad situation. Yeah, we'll we'll press. You know, when, when we're ahead of the sticks is what he always used to say. We'll take advantage of it, but we are not going to put our defense in a bad spot." Well, and Norvell sort of says the same thing. It's just, you know, we just, you know, the pace is what we do. Like, this is what we do. And, you know, I don't think he views it as a negative for the defense, even though maybe it is. You know, even in this Houston game, they had the ball for only a little over 10 minutes of the entire second half. Right. So they only had the ball for a third of the second half. So their defense was on the field a lot more than their offense And the defense was, was worn down. Like, yeah. the defense couldn't stop anybody. Until like was, those last two drives, basically. And, and what you can do... What the defense typically can do is they can't, they're they so exhausted that they can't really stop you, like on a sustained drive. 
unless they turn the ball over. Mm-hmm. They can turn you over. And it's partly why they build their, I think, their defense like that, why they are that ball hawking, is because they don't really have the ability to stop you on a sustain. On a sustain. They do have the ball, the ability, an uncanny ability, 17 times, third in the country, 20, I think, 20, 20 times. Tied for second. Sa- tied for second in the country to turn you over, which is absolutely critical because they were getting run over by Houston in the second half. Uh, not in the first half when they were fresh. They actually made some stops early in the first half, but in the second half they were getting run over. But even there, they can still turn you over, and so those turnovers are absolutely critical. Well, and that's and to me, the defense doesn't need to stop defenses or offenses if because of this. Over. Well, because of this offense, but they just they need to be big in key moments. And so uh, a moment that kind of gets overlooked in this whole thing. It was a four point game. The end of the first half when Riley Ferguson throws that interception, it looked like for a second he. Houston might take it to the house. Right. Well, Patrick Taylor chases down chases the down. Houston guy, and then they had the ball at like the twelve yard line, and, and the defense held him to a field. Yeah. That's the difference in the doing, whole ball game. They've right been doing there, that all in the along. final score. They've been doing that all along in the UCLA game. Same thing. They, key they moments. Gave up, but but the key moment they got the pick, etc. It is funny looking back at a win like this over Houston. There are so many moments. Like And if you're on the other side of it, and Memphis is used to being on the other side of it, where you look at it, and you can imagine if you lose that game, you're like, oh, like if only this, if only this, if only this. Because there was a bazillion of those moments. I'll just give you two that, that stand out to me. On the last drive where they score the winning touchdown, Riley Ferguson should have been sacked on first down, I think it was. For him to be able to escape and throw the ball away, like that was absolutely critical if they could and if you're Houston you think if we just brought him down or obviously the pick in the end zone that Riley threw which was right into the dude's hands and he just didn't hang on to it like but you have to get lucky to 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 pull out games like this and there's a million of those little plays in a in order to pull off a a victory like they pulled off well and I think over the last four games I mean they're going to be favored in all four of these games the rest of the way but they're They've shown to me that they are not going to just run through th- this last four-game stretch. Um, I think they're going to be in another tight game or two here. Maybe it's Tulane. Maybe it's Tulsa. I think maybe the SMU game, um, ECU to close the year. I, I would venture to guess that you know, senior day that'll be a a big win. But you know they've shown that they you know they haven't really aside from the UConn game. Have they really blown anyone? Out? I think that's the only game where there's second teamers have gotten into the game um so it's i think a lot of those little plays are going to come up especially now that the pressure's amped up and i want to see how they do now now that they are the the favorite i don't think the pressure particularly matters to them do you think so you you think riley ferguson when he steps on the on the field friday against tulane is going to be feeling pressure i think sometimes the biggest problem for this offense is that they they, oh, they, get they know how right. good they are and yes. try to do too much. And I, you know, the question is, you know, now they're going to get, now they are, they, it used to be Memphis was the team, you know, three, four years ago was like circling other teams. Now Memphis is circled for these last four games by these teams. They can knock off a top 25 team and it's a different kind of pressure, a pressure that maybe this program hasn't dealt with. So we, I don't, I don't know if it's going to be. A good thing or a bad thing, because I don't think they've ever really had to deal with it. The one time they dealt with it two years ago, they really faltered down the stretch when they started off really good. Right now, the competition was a little better then. You know, they had 
You know, so it, I, I'm really interested to see how they react against well, Tulane. I, Tulane's a pretty good team. Like I agree. to overlook that. I mean, they they only lost to USF on the road by six points, or no, I think it was at home, but lost by six points. They play a unique offense, an option offense that's different than Navy. So the plan you used against Navy that worked pretty well, according to the coaches, just throw that out because you got to do something totally different because this is a zone option rather than a you know a flex option triple option um no you can you can look at this team like they got smashed by oklahoma 56 14 but even in that loss they had 237 yards rushing in, they're 12th in, in the country in, in, in rushing yeah, yards. They, they they barely lost the navy 23 to 21 as you point out they 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 uh played they, usf they tough. played usf F tough and they outscored usf in the second half 21 to 14 so it is not, and honestly, last year Memphis struggled with them a little bit. That was a not an easy game for Memphis. And they're better last year. this year because this year they actually have a quarterback who is a running. Last year they were basically fitting the old quarterback into Willie Fritz's system, the coach's system. This year it's a junior college transfer who Willie Fritz picked himself to run this offense. So they're a little, they're just better in year two under under Willie Fritz. So they got Tulane, then Tulsa. I think that Tulsa game's at, dangerous at Tulsa. too. At Tulsa kicked the crap out of Houston at home. Yeah. They're a different team at home. They played Navy tough at home. So that's not going to be a gimme nope. game. SMU's obviously tough. Uh, that's at home, but that's SMU's that they're, they're SMU's the one other team in the division that controls their own destiny right. for the division title. There they is, only have one division, one conference peril loss. in that game. But they then, also play. I think they have to play UCF still. So so. Um, but you have a situation where they will be favored, I think, in each of those games. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't be favored to win all four. Like if right now, if you had to bet, will they win all four or not win all four? The odds are not- they will not win all four. But they certainly can. Having to, hey, Listen, what they just did, which was to, to beat a Navy team that they don't beat, um, right after one of their best players is arrested at, at kickoff, <laughs> is... And then, with only four days between, go on the road and beat Houston. And not just beat Houston, but come down from 17 down three different times when you never come down from 17 down. It, it, that, that, that is one of the more extraordinary feats that I have seen of Memphis well, football, even in this extraordinary era of Memphis football. Well, I was going to say, I, I'd argue, I wasn't here during the Fuente era, but I'd argue what they just did was more impressive than anything they they did under Justin Fuente. Right. Even starting out 7 and 0. The most impressive thing under Justin Fuente was simply the turnaround. Yeah. That they went from being totally inept to being a team that could do what to, like you'll always I will always give him credit mm-hmm. for turning the program around. But in terms of a, a back-to-back games, I don't think there's anything any, anything more impressive than the, what they did. So it certainly suggests that they can win the next four. And if they do, then who knows? I think they'll, it'll be UCF probably in the American. Athletic I think they Conference can game. still lose a game and still make the AAC yes. championship game. But then as the, long as it's not as the dream won't be alive. Yes. Then the, then yes. the big dream won't yeah. be alive. And we want the big dream to be alive. And then they won't be favored against UCF. And I wouldn't pick them against UCF because I saw the first UCF game, <laughs> but, but not inconceivable. Not at all. It's fun to think about. It's just, like you know, I was joking with someone like we're gonna we're gonna be hiring a replacement for Tom Shad at some point, and like I you know I kind of want to finish out the season. This is a fun ride. <laughs> you uh, you did a piece on Anthony Miller and his post game uh, remarks. Is that representative of like 
how what's the week been out there like out there and what did Anthony Miller like he seemed fired up man yeah it seems like they are fired it's funny there was a there was a little I I thought it was a good thing there was a little scuffle in practice today between uh Mayhew and uh Tito Windham they're they're amped up you can tell they're excited about how much success they're having and I and I say it was a scuffle like you know they got mad at each other but it was one of those typical right. football practice you know right. and then by the end of the practice they were fine Tito Windham you know? had a big play coming off the corner um and then we've gotten through this whole podcast which we have to up here in a second. We haven't even mentioned T.J. Carter. I know. Which is criminal. It's, he's, he's ridiculous. Well, you know, the most impressive thing to me about his performance the other night is those two turnovers he forced late came right after he got beat like a drum on a touchdown pass. Right. The kid has a short memory. John Varlis has a story on him up at commercialappeal.com right now. And his high school coach says he has that arrogant confidence that you have to have. And it's just... He's going to be a really, really good player here. Like, you know, already he's he's yeah. already one of the best defensive players. But and this is, by the way, why recruiting matters. People talk. People talk. Well, I don't. I don't pay. I don't pay attention to stars. I don't pay. No, TJ. Everyone knew TJ Carter was going to be good. And guess what? TJ Carter's good. And when you can recruit at a high level, you have more chance of making plays. You have someone to make plays at a high level. All right. Well, uh, make sure you check out all our material at commercialappeal.com this week. Thanks again for joining us on the podcast. I was Mark Giannato. I was joined by Jeff Calkins. Hopefully, uh, we'll be joining you next week after another uh, Memphis win. Have a uh, good next few days. Enjoy the game on Friday. The Tiger Football Podcast is hosted by Tom Shad and Jeff Calkins. A new episode of the Tiger Football Podcast posts each Tuesday during the regular season. You can also subscribe to the show for free on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. I'm Sean King. The Tiger Football Podcast is a production of the Commercial Appeal.